Oh, and it looks like a cloudy start to uh, Oktoberfest today in the Maple Leaf Parade. Maybe a couple uh, light little showers, but they're going to blow out of here really quick. Uh, come this afternoon, we're looking at a mixture of sun and clouds and a high of 71 degrees. Tonight, uh, partly cloudy skies, lows kicking back to the uh, lower 50s. And uh, looking out through the rest of the week, uh, tomorrow we have a high of 69 and decreasing clouds. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy and a low of 48. Back to work on Monday with a high of 71, uh, 72 for Tuesday and 70 for Wednesday with no real rain in the forecast. So it looks like we've got a good week for Oktoberfest. We'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM, the Plant Doctor Show, in just a minute. Go ahead and give us a call. Shoot me a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. Welcome to 1410 WIZM, the Plant Doctor Show. And uh, if you're outside, uh, you know, uh, enjoying the, uh, well, I guess it hasn't, or it's just starting right now, the uh, Maple Leaf Parade. Uh, I won't be down here to the studio, though, for about another hour, so I'm good. Uh, Yep, I am still live this morning. And uh, so if you've got any questions about anything that's green or growing, go ahead and give me a call. Shoot me a text. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And, you know, I keep hearing the old timers saying that we're going to have this long, cold, hard winter. And I have to just stop and wonder, who in the heck are the old timers? I'm an old timer now, and I'm not saying that. But, uh, you know, what means do these uh, wise old ancient ones use to predict the weather? And, you know... Since weather's playing so much of a part in all of our different aspects of our lives, you know, we try to plan ahead as much as possible, you know, to save time, money, and aggravation. But, uh, you know, to do this, we enlist a bunch of different tools. Some of us uh, only listen to the weather on the morning or the nightly news. Many of us have uh, weather apps on our phones, uh, you know, or computers. Some people buy the uh, Farmer's Almanac for, you know, for their long-range forecasts. And some own their own personal radio stations or, or a combination of all the above. But, you know, at least, you know, most of us have heard or maybe even in secret subscribed to some of those old wives' tales involving something corresponding, uh, you know, uh, to long-range forecasts. And there's actually a term for this, too. And it's called paremiology. And, uh, yeah, I actually looked that up, and there is a term. But uh, some of these, uh, like I said, are old wives' tales, and they have absolutely not one ounce of scientific value. But, you know, still, they're fun to put to the test. But others might have uh, a little bit of truth with them. And this morning, to help us uh, decipher through some of these, we have a special uh, guest host, Corey Malice. Good morning, Corey. Hey, good morning. How's it going? Doing pretty good. Oh. Yeah, and- I was going to say, uh, you know, the uh, especially, I think, in this part of the country, and then uh, uh, you head over toward, uh, like, Appalachia and places like that, there's just tons and tons of weather lore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going to try to uh, call up on YouTube uh it's actually a, a video, uh, kind of a 
uh, to a channel that I subscribe to uh, from Appalachia, and it talks a lot about life in App- Appalachia, not only today, but in history. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they covered in that was some of the old wives' tales and things like that from that part of the country, and it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I bet. My dad had this. I was going to actually talk about this later, uh, but uh, since you brought it up, my dad had this series of books called the Foxfire Books, and uh, they were just really interesting reading growing up. And it was basically uh, descriptions of how all these uh, people from you know early Appalachia lived their lives. And, you know, they didn't have drugstores that they can run down to. They had to make their medicine. Uh, they had to go out and hunt their food and farm their crops. And uh, they definitely didn't have the advantage of turning on the radio to listen to a, a forecast. Yeah, you had a certain skill set that if you didn't have it, you did not last long. Right. Uh, because everything was pretty much uh, made, mm-hmm. you know, at or around the homestead because, a, there wasn't a lot of money. It's a very, very uh, impoverished area. But uh, not only that, there just wasn't a lot of goods available. And so people just learned to, you know, create what they needed. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, the uh, amount of wives' tales and stuff that came up, and a lot of these are entertaining as heck. And I don't, personally, I don't know if this is a really popular one out here. I know it's a very popular one where I grew up at, because they actually did a scientific study about this one. And that's the uh, woolly bear caterpillar. Are you familiar with that yeah, one? Yeah, with the uh, stripes on the yeah. woolly bear. And uh, if you're not familiar with this, these are the uh, black and, I guess, orangey-red caterpillars uh, that you see crossing the road all the time, you know, this time of the year. And supposedly the more black they have, uh, they have black at both ends, but, you know, sometimes it comes close to meeting in the middle. And the more black, the worse the winter is supposed to be. Yeah, and where that black is positioned, like if it's <laughs> positioned on one end of the caterpillar, you're going to have a mild start to the winter. If it's And then go into a colder part, if it's, you know, black on the mm-hmm. other side, you'd start out with a really cold start to winter and then go moderate out. And I think what you were saying, black on both ends is just gloom and doom. <laughs> we're all dead. <laughs> yeah, but they actually had a scientific study uh, back in New York about this. Uh, figured that they'd have it up at a, a place called Bear Mountain. But uh, uh, it was a, the scientists figured out that I think they were like 90% accurate with uh, their forecasts. Yeah, that could, as... that could be. I, um, I'm not familiar with that study. I know there was a study done, but this was years ago where um it was inconclusive so they didn't know whether it was you know true or whether it wasn't and on those things i take you know you can you can look at them either way but i always think with those types of lore there's there's a kernel of truth that it comes from mm-hmm. you know and you know it and you got to look at you know when you talk about scientific and, and you know how valid it is well what are you looking at to validate from a scientific standpoint, because some area of it may validate scientifically if that's what you're looking for in that area. But there might be another part of that lore that doesn't, but you're not looking at that part. Right. So it, it all depends on, you know, because these, these, a lot of these uh, folklore and, and sayings, they have several different parts to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I, in my personal experience, I don't know if I've ever seen, you know, well, I don't see woolly bears that much anymore, but, um, 
if I could tell you one way or the other what it's going to mean for winter. Mm. <laughs> uh, one other fact that I found out about this, uh, too. One of the scientists, and most people don't realize that she was a scientist. Uh, actually, most people today probably do not remember who Kim Hunter was. Do you? Uh, name sounds familiar, but... <laughs> Zero could be... from Planet of the Apes. Yes, okay. Yeah, uh, she was a scientist, and uh, she was one of the ones that was taking... She was part of the study. That's what I was going to say. Kim Hunter sounds like an actress to me, but I couldn't. Oh. Yeah, so now it snaps into place for me. Uh, yeah, I always found that one uh, to be really cool. And another one that almost always holds true, and this one kind of leans over to my side of the uh, field, is uh, Goldenrod. And uh, when you see Goldenrod, uh, when it goes uh, to full bloom, which is kind of subjective, but uh, from... The point where it goes uh, to full bloom you have six weeks until frost and i have tracked this year after year after year and no matter if i was back in new york out here and it always holds true except for this year oh really well of course uh this year it came uh, two weeks early the uh frost came two weeks early so you did have a see i haven't had a frost yet in in, in my yard but i might be close enough to the river where that might be mitigated a little bit. You know, the city itself, it's hard to get a frost when the river's, you know, right next to us like that. Yeah, but got if, the river and all the uh, concrete. Yeah, but I've heard that. that. I've heard that, too. And I've also heard that um, in the spring, too, there are certain plants. I can't remember what they, what they were. Mm. Um, but if one precedes the other, then you're going to have a different outcome. Okay. Um, like, a, I think, an earlier spring. But I know the goldenrod one. And they... I think behind that, there's there's actually some science, and that is because um, of the soil conditions that goldenrod needs. Mm -hmm. And if the soil conditions aren't right, then the, the you know the goldenrod won't bloom. But that's that plays into okay. Uh, if there's, I, I can't remember. It's a moisture content and uh, and temperature that uh, the goldenrod needs, and that uh, kind of I think they studied into that, which would make sense. Yeah, and it's actually three things. Uh, moisture content, uh, heat, and uh, the amount of uh, sunshine. Sunshine. I knew I missed one in there. because I was phytosensitive. Yeah, I was, kind of, I was kind of reading up on some of this, uh, you know, before I came, in, uh, came over here. But um, so there is a kernel of truth mm -hmm. be, behind some of those. And, and I remember, like, um, you know, what my dad used to tell me, if you see the leaves on a tree turn upward, yep. we're going to get rain, you know, and to a certain degree that is correct, but it could be four days before you, you know, the leaves <laughs> could be up for four days, you know, so if you pull out your umbrella and stand there for, you know, expecting rain in the next three hours, probably not going to happen. But it, again, it, it, it there's a kernel mm -hmm. of truth in it. And uh, that one there actually holds true. And it's weird because different areas of the country experience weather differently. And a lot of people don't realize that. And until you move out of one area to another area is when you see, you know, uh, some really big differences. And uh, back east, in the northeast, that does hold true. About a half hour before a storm hits, the leaves will turn. Yep. But it's only a big front coming through. Uh, and the uh, scientific reason for that is that uh, pores to the leaves are on the underside of the leaf. They uh, will turn over to accept the incoming rainwater. Correct. And, uh, you know, they sense the uh, downward uh, 
direction and pressure, and the leaves will turn over and open up. And but you don't you rarely see that out here. It's like the fronts that come through out here don't have as much oomph behind them. Yeah, I think there's more of a humidity. The the trees can sense the increase in the moisture in the air, mm-hmm. and so the leaves automatically turn up. Well. Once you get that moisture in the air, it's just a matter of something coming along and acting on it and causing the rain. So, right. like I said, if that front's three days away and you got a nice south wind bringing moisture in, uh, those leaves are going to turn up in this area and then they're going to kind of remain there. And then, you know, until the front comes through, you get the rain and then the air dries out, they'll kind of go back to normal. Mm-hmm. But I learned that one. I learned that one from my dad when I was really, really young. Yeah, my father taught me that one too. And every time, you know, so every time I'm driving around or uh, outside in the summertime and I see those leaves turn up, I'm like, just automatically go, yep, we got rain coming. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't know exactly when, but you know it's coming. Okay, we're going to have to take a short break here and take care of a little bit of business, but we'll be right back talking about weather. And if you got a question uh, or an old wives' tale you'd like say, to share, yeah, I'd like to hear some of the because uh, there's so many of them, and I'd like to know which ones uh, I've heard, and maybe I'll hear some new ones too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always fun. Uh, so our number down here at Wisdom is six years. Actually, let's just stick to the weather today. Yeah, I'm the host of the show. I can say that. No plant questions this week. Uh, but if you got uh, you know an old wives' tale that you want to share, or you know some other anecdote uh, about the weather. Feel free. Number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back in just a minute. Now it's time to call in with your planner. Whoops, sorry about that. Corey and I were babbling, yakking away. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there is all sorts of different things out there, and, you know, uh, some are caterpillars, you know, some birds, some bees, uh, and sometimes the weather tells us about what the weather is going to be doing. Well, you know, there was a time where there, you know, there, there weren't apps and there weren't meteorologists, uh, you know, studying the weather. And a lot of it was done. And a lot of the early meteorology, actually, that, that we based a lot of the science off of uh, at a later date came from just people observing it day mm-hmm. in and day out. People, you know, and if you, your whole livelihood depended on the weather back when we were more of an agrarian society, you paid attention to it because if you didn't, you could end up, you know, in trouble. And so that's where a lot of our data came from. And that's why you hear, you know, uh, places saying, you know, it hasn't been this cold since 1854, or, you know. And those older records are more prevalent in the, the eastern United States because obviously that was the area first settled. But it was that data that started kind of building um, and people would look for patterns. And to this date, that's what we do in weather when you're looking at a computer model or you're looking at um, any kind of observational data, you're looking for patterns. And those patterns will tell you certain things. And that's what they did back then. You know? and, and if you pay attention to the weather on a daily basis, you can start to notice things. Uh, and we were talking about this in the break. But, uh, for example, cirrus clouds, those high, thin, wispy clouds, uh, if they... Uh, you start to get a veil of those overhead, then you know that rain or a storm system is on the way because uh, the, a lot of that could either be a high-level moisture or it could be blow-off from uh, storms well out to your west. And as that storm system would approach, those clouds would gradually get lower and lower and lower and lower until you actually you know, you start getting the rain. And it, you know, if you were to watch that, that's pretty much how that would play out. Now, obviously, something short-term like a thunderstorm or something that's 
you know, relatively short-lived uh, would be probably a little bit different. But I'm, I'm talking more like a uh, in the wintertime, like a snow system or one of those big low-pressure systems we get in the fall that drop a lot of rain. Uh, you know, you can watch the clouds, and they will tell you um, a lot of what, what could be happening in the next few days. Yeah, another old one that I always uh, heard and my whole family knows is uh, mares tails and mackerel sky, not for long will the ground stay dry. And I'll be darned if that it doesn't hold true every single time. That is true. And this is basically because uh, as these, you know, weather systems <clears throat> in French approach, they create certain cloud types. Right. And, you know, people discovered over the years that more times than not, when they had those cloud types, they had precipitation that would, would soon be on its heels. You know, the other one, too, is like the, the ring around the moon. You know, I think I can't remember the exact uh, line of the wives' tale, but basically it was if you see a ring around the moon, you know, expect rain soon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was just ice crystals uh, aloft from, you know, either thunderstorm to well to our west, the blow off, or again, increasing, you know, mid and high level moisture. And those ice crystals uh, form that little halo around the moon. And you could, you know, usually within three, four days, you have some sort of precipitation moving in. Yeah, the uh, same thing goes for uh, sun dogs. I would uh, imagine, which is basically a backwards rainbow, I guess is about the best way to put it. Uh, a lot of times people will see almost the illusion of having a bright sun to the right or left. or above. Right. And that and would be... In a perfect scenario, you could actually see the arc above it. Yeah, and that can you can get those, you can actually get those too in, in very cold weather where there's a lot of ice crystals uh, in the sky, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just the way the sun uh, basically refracts off them, and uh, doesn't necessarily those don't necessarily mean that you're going to get rain soon. It just means there's a lot of uh, ice crystals in the air for whatever reason, and that's usually. Um, they're, they're probably more common when it's really cold. Okay. I think you see them a little more often, but the, um, uh, but yeah, the, you know, looking for, uh, rainbows, uh, those ice crystals, uh, that are aloft. Uh, again, those usually precede, uh, a storm system that be, might be moving in. The other thing you can pay attention to are the winds because the wind will also tell you what is going on. I mean, uh, you know, it's a south wind obviously is, is going to be warm. A north or northwest wind is obviously going to be cold, and a west wind is usually the more temperate of, you know. But as a storm system approaches, you get a specific, uh, depending on where the track of that, the center of that system goes, you get a specific type of wind. It'll go from maybe southeast to south, and then it might go over to uh, uh, more of a west and a northwest, or it might start out from the east, switch to the northeast, and then gradually kick over to the northwest as the storm system moves by, depending on the track of that low. But, but those winds can tell you um, pretty close to where that center of that storm system is. And if you know where the center of the storm system is, particularly in the wintertime, it can give you an idea to kind of guesstimate where the heaviest precipitation will fall, which is usually the northwest quadrant of it. And so you just, you know, and all this stuff was just done by years and years of people observing it over, you know, decades and decades before the science actually kind of evolved. Okay, and this one here doesn't really fall into weather forecasting lore, but I've got to ask it anyhow. The standing joke in our house is Terryland, uh, because we have always say Terry puts an umbrella up over the area. I, you can sit back and watch a storm coming across the Minnesota on the radar, and it's coming charging dead at La Crosse and Holman area. 
and it's you call on your workers okay get inside it's we're gonna have really bad weather in a little bit and then it dissipates it never fails to dissipate yeah. just as it gets here and then it rebuilds right up uh, over towards sparta yeah what years and years and years i i have a theory about it and I, I i can't really you know what we'd have to study it and study it and study it uh but I, I can't tell you how vexing that would be uh, when I was, you know, back doing a work on television and you'd sit there and track these things and you'd watch them and you're, you know, you're battening down the hatches. You're getting ready to just, you know, hit it hard with the, the messaging and everything. And all of a sudden they just fall apart on you. And my theory is that there's some sort of uh, airflow or some sort of interruption that um, undercuts the flow going into the storm. Now, my theory is, and I, I can't prove it. I can't, I, you'd have to do some scientific study and research and data, but we have the I-90 corridor that runs, you know, from the cross over to Toma. Mm -hmm. And if I'm correct, I think I am, you actually go up a little bit in elevation from the cross as you head over toward Toma, I believe there's yeah. a little bit of a climbing elevation. Now, if the wind is right, if it's if if you've got like a maybe a, these storms are coming in from the west and they're drawing air in from the east, you get kind of a little downsloping effect as it comes along that I ninety four the I ninety corridor. So I okay. it, you know and that could that that drier air could undercut the the storm. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So I don't that's. I don't know. I, I that's a theory I have. I've never been able to prove it, but uh, you know maybe someday somebody will. Yeah, uh, my boss, uh, ex-boss, uh, always used to say that it had something to do with the corn growing down in Iowa or some crap like that and the amount of uh, moisture that was being uh, released back in the Well, there is year. actually a phenomenon called corn sweat. Uh -huh. And back in, in the peak months of the growing season in Iowa, there's so much corn, it actually raises the humidity levels. Okay, wow. Okay, so maybe Corey had something going for him. That's a different Corey, by the way. Okay, uh, we'll be right back. Uh, we've got to take a break for some uh, commercials here and some news. We've got some callers sitting uh, here, so we're going to go ahead and get back to them as soon as we come back. It'll be about three minutes. So give us a buzz, shoot us a text. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. CBS. And we are back, and we've got a couple of callers on hold and uh, one text here. That's, I think that's it. Uh, rain when sun shines, rain tomorrow, same time. Oh, okay, I see what he's saying. Uh, if it rains like a sun shower, you're going to get rain the next day at the same time. Well, That's that what... could be. You know, there's, uh, especially uh, if you live in, uh, uh, near, the, like, the, the uh, Gulf Coast or coastal regions, like the Florida Peninsula, mm -hmm. um, it'll rain like clockwork there every day. You know, during the summer, and almost you could almost set your watch by it. Yeah. And there's other areas like um, another place too is uh, like the Pacific Northwest. You've got the uh, peninsula because, or not peninsula. I don't. Seattle sits kind of in between two bodies of water, Puget mm -hmm. Sound, and then is it Lake Union or Lake Washington? One of those, but that has a convergence zone as well, and that can lead to specific times of weather at specific times of the day too, or during in specific seasons. Yeah, um, I was stationed down in uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, which is, I mean, literally right on, the, it's the deepest part of the Gulf. And every day, it was, I 
think it was like at 11 o'clock we had our, I mean, you could set your clock by it. It was ridiculous. And it would rain like crazy for 10 minutes. And sometimes you wouldn't even see a cloud. And it, all of a sudden it would just downpour. Yeah, it's a, just a sea breeze. You yeah. know, it's that, that warmer air, that more moist air pushes on shore. You get a little zone where the air can rise. And boom, next thing you know, you got uh, you got those little showers that pop up. And then just die out because mm-hmm. there's nothing to support them. They just rain themselves out. And uh, other times uh, I literally had this happen to me. I was uh, in a boat. And I was driving in the back, you know, it was an outboard motor. And it was this rain squall moving across the water. No clouds, just this one rain squall. And I was getting soaking wet in the back of the boat. And the guy in the front of the boat was laughing at me because he was bone dry. Until I turned oh, that's the, interesting. Yeah, until I turned the boat around and had, went back yeah, yeah, the storm. Your turn, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's jump on over the phone lines. Good morning. You are on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? This is Karen. Hi, Karen. How Hi, are Karen. you? I'm good. How about you? Doing great. Doing wonderful. Well, it kind of sounds that way. You're having a good time. What can we do for you? Okay, I've got a couple questions. Um, I think you've always mentioned that it's a good time to seed your yard at um, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Is this about the time you're talking about or later? Yep, you can go ahead and do it at any point now. Uh, now, normally you have the fall rains, you know, kind of speaking about the weather. Yeah. But this year, not so much. But uh, there's a lot less stressors out there. And the other thing that you can uh, avoid by seeding in the fall is crabgrass. Anytime you okay. disturb the soil in the spring, you're guaranteed to have crabgrass. But those uh, crabgrass seeds that uh, work their way up to the surface when you seed will die out over the winter. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, can you do that through November? This wasn't one of my questions for you, but I have um, been pulling occasionally crabgrass, mm-hmm. and I pulled the root out. Okay. Now, d- is this going to be helpful, or do they have some other way of multiplying with, <laughs> even though I've pulled out that one? Okay, crabgrass is an annual plant. It does not come back year after year. It oh. will come back year after year in the same spot because it drops so many seeds. And it's those seeds that keep coming back. And historically, those are going to be your thinner type areas and uh, mm-hmm. hotter areas. So it's usually going to come back in the same area every year. So it's pulling not the same out, plant. it doesn't really do a whole lot. Not really. Okay. Well, I okay. thank you very much for calling. I've got one more question. Okay, shoot. Okay, um, should you be putting any fertilizer on at this time of the year For your on lawn? your yard? On your lawn? Uh, yes. Uh, the best time to fertilize is the uh, four holidays, and that's as a rule of thumb. Now, granted, the uh, commercial companies can't stick to that because they're dealing with so many customers. But for the homeowner who's doing it themselves, you want to go for Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. The Fourth of July, Labor Day, and Halloween. Oh, Halloween! Mm-hmm. And Halloween and, would be your dormant fertilizer. And what kind of fertilizer would you use? Uh, uh, well, right now you're in between the uh, Labor Day and the Halloween. Uh, any good lawn type fertilizer would be fine right now. Your dormant fertilizer, you want to. You're not so much worried about the first two numbers as you are the last number. 
Oh, okay. And uh, you want an upper uh, last number. The uh, first two numbers stand for nitrogen and phosphorus. And the only okay. time that you uh, allowed to put phosphorus on your lawn, actually, is uh, when you're seeding. So you don't even worry about that center number unless you're doing any seeding. The okay. last number stands for uh, potash or potassium. Potash, okay. And uh, that you want to have at least an 18. 18, okay. At least an 18, up as high as 25. Okay? Okay, can you answer one other question? I'm sorry. We planted I'm, a... Hon, I'm, sorry, but I, I'm sorry, but we've got another caller, and we're kind of pressed for time, okay? Okay. Okay. This would have been a quick one, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, have a good day. Thank you for yep, calling. Bye. Bye-bye. And good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Oh, see, I've done my share of outdoor work, and uh, there's many times where I've had stores, storms come up, and by the size of the raindrop almost determines if I'm going to continue working or not. If they're big, splatty raindrops, I continue working because nine out of ten times it's going to be a short-lived storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I've seen that too. Working outside. Droplets. Is this Terry by any chance? What's that? Are is your name Terry by any chance? No, no. Oh, okay. You sound just like a buddy of mine. Uh, No. Yeah, uh, I've seen that as well. Working outdoors, you get those big, you know, things that you figure can fill up a teaspoon, and it lasts five minutes tops. Yeah. Right. Right. And usually, if you're going to get those big drops, you're usually going to get them at the leading edge. Um, and then what happens is, you know, you get these big splatty drops. Oh, I lost them. Okay. And you get those big splatty drops. And then, uh, you know, it, that turns into just a, you know, a huge downpour. But I've also seen where we've been on the very edges of storms or very small storms where you, you start out with those big splatty drops. Um, kind of enough just to disturb the dust on your car so you end up with a you know your car's all marked up mm-hmm. and then and your that's it old messed yeah. up and-, <laughs> and that's and that's the end of it but you know i always i'm always a little leery of those big uh big drops because i know that in some cases if it's a big storm the real downpour the, the one that'll get you soaking wet is is coming mm-hmm. usually if you uh, have any kind of view down like a road or a field, you can watch that coming across that visibility change, and you're like, "Uh oh, here yeah, it comes." It's like, "Ooh, thank you for what a... we're about to receive." Yeah, and I was wondering if there's if there is any old kind of lore about that. If there's a some sort of wives' tale about the the size of raindrops, I haven't seen uh, any anything like that. I haven't seen it with raindrops. I've seen it with snow, big snow, little snow, little snow, big snow. Oh, Maybe. see that one. That one's new to me. So uh, it's big snow. Big snow, little snow. Mm-hmm. Big flake, you get a, a little amount of uh, snow. Uh, little snow, you get more snow on the ground. And I know it's got to do with moisture content and everything. So Yeah, because snowflakes are determined the, the size um, and the type of the snow, what they call the dendrid, whether, you know, the crystal itself. There are several different kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, we all think of a snowflake as like that little six-sided thing that, uh, you know, you always see for winter decorations. But you can get, you know, little things like ice pellets. They can be, um, they can be little balls. They can be like little rods, um, you know, different types. And it all just depends on pressure, humidity, and the amount of moisture that they have mm-hmm. to work with. But I could see that because uh, I've noticed when we've had winter storms where we've had, you know, significant accumulation the flakes are not that big but they're coming down like 
you know, coming down like gangbusters, you know, where you get mm. the, the big flakes are usually more when the temperature is closer to freezing. And a lot of that's just the snowflakes bumping into each other and just forming a clump. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Oh, we got a couple more callers. Let's jump back over the lines. Good morning, Aaron. Play doctor. Can you turn down your radio, please? Can you turn Hello? down your radio? It's off. Hello? Okay. Good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Um, if you see a moon dog in three days, the weather will be very cold. If you see a sun dog within three days, the weather's going to get warmer. If um, from the first thunderstorm you hear in the year, whether it's January, February, March, the first thunderstorm, lightning storm you see, within six months, you'll have your first frost. Now, I've heard that one. I've heard that one. I, didn't, I don't know about the other ones, but yeah, the, the thunderstorm one I'm familiar with. Okay. Uh, and if you're going to call in, please turn your radios off in the background. That sound comes right up through our headphones, and it's kind of like scratching styrofoam together. Uh, that's right. I still got one good ear yet, so we're okay. <laughs> Okay, good morning. You're on the Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? This is Jack. Hey, Jack. I got a question. Uh, aerating your lawn, uh, is it better to do it in the fall or spring? I've heard both ways, and what benefits do you get from aeration? Okay, aeration is primarily used for uh, two things. One, uh, loosening up compact, compacted soil. Number two, it's used to punch through a thick thatch layer. And a thick thatch layer, some thatch is beneficial to your lawn because it acts as a uh, blanket, more or less. A, it keeps uh, drastic weather changes from happening. Too thick, it stops allowing the moisture and oxygen to uh, move back and forth. Any, between a quarter, a little bit more than a quarter of an inch is opt the best. You start getting upwards to a... <coughs> Half an inch, and that's when you start having problems. Now, the best way to get rid of thatch is dethatching, and that should be done in the springtime as soon as your lawn is uh, dry enough to be able to uh, support being abused because basically a dethatcher is like a sideways lawnmower, and it just pummels the grass and brings right. up the thatch. Uh, Coeration, on the other hand, punches holes and brings up little cores of uh, dirt and deposits them on top of the soil. So that fights it two different ways. One, the uh, you've got the holes punched through the thatch. And two, the microbes in the soil will help break down the thatch from up above. But it's better to do the dethatching in the spring and the aerations in the fall. Because when you're punching all those little holes down into the soil and bringing up those little cores of soil, you're bringing up crabgrass seeds as well. So you're going to uh, be setting yourself up for a really good uh, case of crabgrass doing a uh, spring aeration. Okay? Right. Yep, wonderful. Sounds great. Okay. Thanks a lot. No problem. You have a great day, sir. And let's see, one more caller, and then we have a text question. Good morning. You're on the uh, Plant Doctor Show. Who's this? Uh, my name is Terry. Hey, Terry. We planted a, it's a Sienna maple tree in July. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it was wasn't really coming around uh, too good, but should we stop watering it now? No. Okay. Uh, stop watering it when the ground freezes. 
And I'm not okay. talking about having a frost. I'm talking about when you can't stick a shovel on the ground anymore. Because okay. right now, even though the uh, trees are not growing upwards and plants are not having that much uh, upwards growth, this is the most vigorous growing period for any plant, except it's happening below the ground, down in the soil with the roots. And uh, so the plants are going to need that moisture still. Now, uh, like I said, uh, you can go ahead and water right up until when the ground freezes. You do have to be careful of uh, if they start calling for a, a hard freeze because you don't want to freeze your pipes to your house. And having your hose hooked up still, it can take a chance there. So uh, one word of warning is, uh, you know, this time of the year, if you're going to keep your hose hooked up to do any watering outside, always unhook it at night. Okay. And that will help you out because uh, you don't want the ice building up inside the hose and, you know, that cold just go working its way back inside the, uh, you know, pipes into your basement. Learn that one the hard way. <laughs> would, it, would it help at all to uh, fertilize that tree yet? Uh, you planted it when, July? July. This oh. is actually a tree what was uh, about six years old, and it was uh, dug up and... Then we replant, or we had somebody replant it. Okay, uh, I wouldn't give it any fertilizer this time of the year, but what I would do is go ahead and get yourself some potash uh, or bone meal, and you can sprinkle that right around the base of it. Uh, you don't want to give it uh, the nitrogen and the fertilizer is going to tell to uh, send out uh, leaves and produce upwards growth. That's not what you want during the winter time. During the wintertime, you're wanting uh, that soft, uh, fresh growth to harden off. And uh, anything uh, new that grows this time of the year will wind up dying. That's actually how acid rain killed trees. Acid rain did not burn the leaves off of trees like people thought. It was fertilization at the wrong time of the year, and it was coming in in the fall. The uh, acid that they spoke of in the rain was actually nitrogen. And it was fertilization at the wrong time of the year. And I always say it's akin to giving a kid a big piece of cake right before bed. It just doesn't work. You know, you can't expect that kid to go to sleep. Well, you don't want to give a plant a big dose of nitrogen right before winter because that's their bedtime. Understand? Yes. And then if the, all the leaves have turned colors already, does that give you any indication of a, the tree being stressed? No, actually, that's an indication that the uh, tree is doing halfway decent. Uh, a tree that is very stressed, the uh, colors will not change. And uh, actually, the uh, leaves will generally just dry up on the branch, and uh, you'll have very, very little color change to it. The fact that the uh, leaves are changing color is uh, a good sign. Because everything's working the way it's supposed to in the tree. It might be a little bit premature, but that's okay. Well, thank you very much. Been very helpful. Okay, I'm. thank you for giving us a call, and you have a great day, sir. A lot of that, too, is the uh, uh, shortening of the days, too, which triggers the mm -hmm. trees. Uh, yeah. There's a lot that goes into that. Yep. And take over for uh, we'll take it for a couple more seconds before we go to uh, the last break uh the biggest things that go into the uh changing the uh, colors and i've had this come up on the show quite a bit obviously and this is again a big difference between out here and back east uh and also out west 
and everybody they had in the newspapers that uh the lacrosse area and i'm sorry i love this area and i'm very proud of it but it is not one of the most beautiful spots in the united states for fall colors the fall colors that you get here might be nice to us but they're dull compared to other areas in the country you get up to the uh, northeast vermont new hampshire upstate new york uh, get away from Boston and Massachusetts. Uh, the colors are literally breathtaking. It's amazing. Even going out towards Rhode Island in that area. What do they have? Is it is it because they have more uh, preponderance of types of trees, or is it? It's what makes it happen, and what takes for the uh, colors to change is number one, uh, they're uh, phytosensitive. It's amount of sunlight. And that's why it happens this time of year. But what actually makes the uh, physical change is that the color is always there in the leaf. A The uh, oranges that you see on a sugar Yeah, bottle. it's just being hidden by the chlorophyll. Right. The chlorophyll is green and uh, the leaves act as a tree's stomach. The tree will reabsorb the chlorophyll for winter food and leave them behind the color of the uh, leaf, the true color of the leaf. Now, the other thing that comes uh, into play big time is temperature. You need good, crisp, cold nights followed by bright, sunshiny days. And that gets the sap flowing inside the tree. The sap flowing draws all the chlorophyll out of the leaves. Uh, the th- other aspect that you need for the sap to flow is to have sap there in the first place. And that you need moisture. And we were set up for probably one of the best color years this year. Uh, We've had the right temperatures. Uh, Up until about a month and a half ago, we had more than substantial moisture. And then all of a sudden, Mother Nature is like, turn it off. "Ah." Yep, turn the spigot off. I was just going to say the same thing because I thought this year, I thought the temperatures were perfect. Uh, Throughout much of the summer, we got what we needed for moisture so the trees weren't stressed out. This could be a really, really good year for color. And now in the past several weeks, a rain has been sporadic at mm-hmm. best, and there are a lot of dry spots. So I'm wondering if that's going to dull those colors out a little oh, bit. It will. And I actually, uh, we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks back, and I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe Mother Nature's going to make a liar out of me this year, and this area's going to have a really beautiful uh, presentation. Ahead. But... Once again, something comes in, and and so much for that. Well, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I, I and noticed... we'll still have nice colors. Yeah, but it's just not going to be explosive like it is. And if anybody really wants to see uh, beautiful fall colors, look up uh, northeast uh, autumn foliage, and or actually uh, the Rocky Mountains too with their aspen trees. That's another breathtaking where they've got the aspens and the. Uh, Black and jack pines growing together, so you have that dark, dark green and the bright yellow of the uh, aspen. Uh, but they get the big differences in day, nighttime temps. Generally, they have a lot more moisture to deal with, and uh, so they've got the perfect conditions, unfortunately. But unfortunately, also, we've got to take a break and take care of a little bit of business. Uh, I don't want to run that late, but we'll be right back here at 1410 WYZM in just a moment. The Plant Doctor official forecast. And we are up to 54 degrees outside. I can't tell you what it's doing, but I haven't heard a whole lot of hustle and bustle inside the station, so I don't think it's raining out there. 
But uh, today it's going to be getting up to about 70 degrees for the Maple Leaf Parade. Tonight dropping back to around 50. Tomorrow we're looking at a high of 69 with uh, decreasing clouds. Monday back to work, 71 and 72 for Tuesday. And uh, we've had another guest here sitting in the uh, studio with us uh, this morning. Uh, a little gentleman that lives right next door to me. And do you want to say anything to your mom and dad? Hello. <laughs> Not even a hi, mom and dad, just a hello? Yeah. Oh, okay. That sounded pretty professional to me. Yeah, he's got a future in broadcasting. Okay, we've got uh, three minutes left of the show. Uh, I don't want to say that's more than enough time to answer any uh, weather questions and uh, such. But yeah, I've always found this subject a lot of fun. And I appreciate you coming in today. Yeah, glad, I'm glad I, I could do it. Yeah, it's uh, fun going over stuff like that. There's a couple of shows that I do that kind of go back to this. I do another one that uh, deals with uh, holistic medicine and uh, what, you know, the pioneers uh, had to deal with and you know, the different ways since they didn't have, you know, a corner drugstore to go running to. Well, and I was going to say, too, there's, I, I mean... A lot of like, like I mentioned before, with with weather, a lot of the information that we had as meteorology started coming up started from just people taking observations day in and day out. People who watched it very, very carefully, you know. And you know, there was a time where there wasn't a neighborhood drugstore, there wasn't a, a, a weather app, there wasn't, and so you had to make do with what you had. And people found stuff that you know maybe it wouldn't work be as effective compared to today's medicine. Right. But, you know, we're still here as a species, so it must have had some, mm -hmm. you know, some the, good properties. One of the most common pills that's in everybody's house these days is aspirin. And most people don't realize that aspirin was, that's a fallback to uh, what the uh, pioneers were making from willow bark. And uh, willow oh, really? bark, See, I didn't yeah, know that. Willow bark is full of uh, salicylic acid. And uh, they used to boil it down to a tea. They drink their aspirin, but it's the same, sure, exact same. Wonder, wonder if it tasted as awful as aspirin. Uh, I've had it; it tastes like crap. Uh, I was going to say, I know, but <laughs> I was going to say too that um, you know there was a time where, and, and I think a lot of people, I think, uh, still say that aspirin is a still a kind of a miracle drug in all the things that it can do. Mm -hmm. It can lower blood pressure. It can uh, be an analgesic. And yeah. Okay, well, that's going to take care of this. Uh, happy festing to everybody. Uh, we'll be back here next week at 1410 WYZM. Until then, remember, anybody can have a green thumb. All you need is a can of paint. La Crosse is source for news and information. Wisdom is WIZM. La Crosse, News Talk 1410 AM, 92.3 FM.